I want you to open once again to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, just briefly, where it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I wish that more Christians who think they're off limits to the devil would realize that you can be snared by the devil. You can be taken captive by him, even though you're a church person. That's 2 Timothy 2, the last couple of verses there. That you can in Ephesians 4, you can, you can give place to the devil. The devil preys on ignorance. He tries to seek those people that are too busy to listen and too busy to attend and people that are sleepy, worked hard and can't stay awake and to keep you from hearing the truth. There's one thing the devil fears in any Christian's life, and that's a living word. Not a word you memorize, but a word that you believe. It's a weapon. It's called the sword of the spirit. It's what Jesus used against the devil himself. He said, it is written. And the devil had to honor that because God watches over his word to perform it. God causes his word to work because it's his word. And when a believer stands on that word and quotes that word, the devil knows that he can do nothing against it to stop it. So he takes those who should be learning and gathering in information and preparing themselves to be a soldier of the cross, arming themselves and equipping themselves with the word and truth. And he just sort of works on you to make you think you've got enough. Oh, we've heard that before. We're well taught, or I go to church where they preach a word, as though you actually believe it yourself. He wants you to assume that you believe things. Maybe just as a casual thought, oh, I believe all of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Bible believer. I believe the Bible. And you really don't know that much about it. And so the devil isn't afraid of church people, not afraid of us teaching and learning, not afraid of you going to church. He just doesn't want you to believe it. He doesn't mind you quoting scripture as long as you're unwilling to stand on it because there's power in the word. We have to learn that. So we are not to be ignorant of his devices because the word alerts us to methods, which is what this word can mean, wiles of the devil, tactics, schemes, devices, the various ways in which the devil seeks out those that he can mislead, deceive, or seduce. And the Bible speaks of all of those things as things that happen to Christians. So we need not only to take advantage of what opportunities God gives us in his word, but to learn what these things mean and then hide this word in your heart. For the Bible says this word is life to those who find it. It becomes health to all your flesh. Amen. Now we started last week with a discussion of the occult. These little tracks you'll find out front. They're five cents a piece or three for a dollar, whichever way you want to go. The dollar would be better because you don't have to handle change. So anyway, this is a, a lot of information here about a difficult subject, but a common subject. Not very many church folks know much about the occult. They seldom ever relate their oppression and their problems, mental or physical or emotional, to 
some involvement with the occult where they gave place to the devil. And that was an open door for the enemy to come in and begin to oppress Christians. And a lot of people just don't know that. They wouldn't believe it. A lot of them wouldn't if you taught them. But you will, and that's why we're teaching you. And if there's one message, this is my conviction. One message every Christian should be thoroughly familiar with is this one. You really need to know what the occult is all about and why it's such a devastating thing, why it's such a bad thing, and why it's such a difficult thing that you guard yourself and not let these occult spirits come into your life or attempt you or attach themselves to you or your family. Because if they can, they will. The one definition of the occult is beyond the bounds of ordinary knowledge, something mysterious, hidden from view, or the word concealed. Well, that can apply to a lot of things. So we narrow it down as Christians and say that when you seek help for guidance, information, assistance, spiritual enlightenment about the future, tomorrow, what direction you ought to take, when you seek answers to those probing questions from any source other than God, you have turned to the dark world. God never okays seeking information from any source beside himself. Never. Remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. There are just some things that we Christians have to learn about who we turn to, who we seek help from. In Psalm 32, 8, God said, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. And we're too busy to wait on the Lord. So we begin to seek information, maybe playfully. You may read a horoscope every day and you find it interesting. Did you know there's a spirit behind the horoscope? It's a fortune-telling or a soothsaying spirit. Now, intelligent people in this computerized age will laugh at such nonsense. They think that people like me, I'll leave you out of it, they think that people like me are just overboard with all this spooky stuff and that this is just a game, just Ouija board and a horoscope. That's not really demonic. It's just a game that kids play. It's just a thing that people do. There's nothing wrong with Halloween. Oh, witches are just little fun things. Well, they are until you read Exodus 18.22, where God instructed his people, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. He didn't think much of them either. So if that's God's attitude and view towards it, I don't want anything to do with it either. So I avoid anything that they have anything to do with. But all forms of fortune-telling, palm reading, tarot cards, some say they read tea leaves, and then the islands, they read bones and entrails of animals and omens in the sky for guidance and predictions of the future and what you're going to do, who you should marry, should you go, should you stay. And people seek out people who have this familiar spirit or who think they know something about the next world, about tomorrow. They seek them out for guidance. Some people read a horoscope every day. Or they consult their astrological charts to see if the stars are lined up right. I used to say all the time, my stars. And one day Bonnie said, don't you know that's occult? And I should. I said, you know what it is, isn't it? And she said, yeah. So I quit saying my stars. Because a lot of people say that we learn that. 
Oh, it's innocent. Well, it is until you learn what's behind it. And then it's not so innocent. It's innocent to the unlearned and to the ignorant. And I don't mean that as a put down. I'm just saying ignorance means lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. And you can really get in trouble with ignorance, especially as a Christian, because the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Or as Isaiah said, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. They're living in a way that is not in harmony with God's word, and the devil takes advantage of them and does things in their life and then blames it on the times of the family tree. Well, nobody's perfect, and after all, who can? And you never relate your problems, your family problems, your marriage problems, your school problems, your emotional problems. People never relate that to some demonic invasion in their life, but it is. That's where it comes from. God never saved us to live like that. You know that? The redeemed of the Lord were not to be bait for the devil. We are to put him under our feet and overcome him in all things. We can only do that if we know what we're dealing with. Like the Harry Potter stuff. I've heard churches, when that first came out, I'd read stuff that would be sent to me, faxed to me from internet, that Harry Potter was not demonic. As one person says, if half of your brain works, if you had to watch at least five seconds of it, you would know it's demonic. All the witches and the magic, there is nothing of God that relates to God ever that is magic. No luck, no magic. When God does things, there's no magic to it. I've had people say, you know, when you say I haven't, had any pills and medicine and all that stuff for going on 40 years. Now they said, well, boy, you're lucky. You need to knock on wood. I don't need to knock on anything, and it has nothing to do with luck. It all has to do with doing what God wants you to do the way he wants you to do it and paying the price to do it that way because very few people will agree with what you do. But you know in whom you have believed, and you're willing to put him before anybody else. Jesus said if you can't do that, you can't be a disciple. If you put mother, father, anything before me, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Well, I want to be a disciple. I want Jesus to recognize me as a disciple. I don't want to labor through this life trying to make ends meet. I want that Psalm 91, with long life, I will satisfy you. That's what I want. And show you my salvation. Well, it's a wonderful salvation, God's saving ways. When he makes you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed going out, blessed coming in, whatever you put your hand to, that's his salvation. I don't want anything to come in my life and keep that from working. I don't want some fortune teller wanting to tell my fortune at the fair or the carnival. I don't want that to be a, a moment when there was a demonic attachment to my life. I want to be free from all that stuff. I want to keep my distance from all this stuff and keep the devil from arm's length. I don't want anything to do with Walt Disney and Disney World and all the magic kingdom. I've said that before, and I remember somebody back years ago went on a vacation and came back, and one of the kids had Mickey Mouse thing on, and I guess they went to Disney World. And I think, well, all I can do is say it. I'm not a little policeman. I don't run around giving people tickets in the church. I don't want to arrest people. I do what I have to do. But you teach or C.S. Lewis's, what's that thing about going in a closet and finding a line, and the line was Jesus or something? That's ignorance. We don't need that. I don't need some kind of a 
superficial story like that to somehow be portrayed as the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All the magic that goes with that and all these things. I don't want that. Don't want anything to do with it. Don't want their books, tapes, videos, nothing. Now, so far, we said this last week in the Old Testament. Genesis 11 and verse 4, the first instance of the occult or seeking after information to the future other than God's way was the Tower of Babel. They built this tower to go to heaven. On the top, there was a zodiac, they say. And this is where man began to map out his life and his future and for other people. Then we looked in Leviticus chapter 19 about incantations and soothsaying, and in Leviticus chapter 20 about those that have familiar spirits and who are wizards that they can defile you. Then we looked in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the last two verses in Deuteronomy 7 had to do with bringing into your house anything that represents another God or another system of seeking information, whether it's the beach towel with the big zodiac on it or the plate that grandma had with the zodiac on it or the four-leaf clover you got on St. Patrick's Day, whoever he was, and, and all these treasures in the house. I said last week, and I know people never hear this. They don't hear it. And so they think it's strange even think such a thing that these things attract spirits. They gravitate to this. God said when you bring those things into your house, they become a snare unto you and becomes an abomination. You don't get blessed anymore. Now, I wonder how many people, I don't know, no way I could know. I just wonder how many people have found themselves without blessings because of such things as that. A little thing like that. A little zodiac that was on a very expensive plate or something. Oh, it's just an innocent thing. Well, it might not be. It might be the reason your kids can't sleep, or maybe the reason your kids don't do well, or maybe the reason you and your wife are not getting along, or maybe the reason why you have this chronic problem you can't get over, or you, or you can't believe certain things that God says, or you can't stay awake during the church service. Why would the devil do any of that? Whatever he can do, he'll do all of that. We never realize when we're not doing well and things aren't going right, something's wrong. Shouldn't you say that? I'll speak for myself. If I'm not doing well, I know something is wrong because I expect to do well. I expect to do well because God has promised. He said, it shall be well with you and your children after you. If it's not well with me, I think there's some kind of a cessation of my blessings here because the enemy has got a toe in here somewhere. Start looking around. If I can't find things, if I go two days and I can't find things, I start dealing with the devil. And those who don't watch somebody go, ho, 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 he's crazy. No, I find what I'm looking for. There's nothing crazy about finding stuff. Nothing crazy about turning things right side up instead of being wrong side down. Nothing wrong with having peace every day. There's nothing wrong with having joy in the midst of clouds. There's nothing wrong with having a good attitude and having good things to say. There's nothing wrong with desiring to do good and not evil. Amen. Nothing wrong with doing well. In fact, if the whole church did well, the whole atmosphere in this room would change. It would just change. If you believed what I said, if you believed what the Bible said, something in you would stir you up to say, yes. It would. 
But I tell you, folks, the devil is a dark power. The occult is a dark world. And when you get into that, like this little track says, oppression and bondage await you. And they begin to snare you. That's why people do turn to drugs often. Children have been subjected to all kinds of occult spirits. And the doctors are giving them all these kind of drugs, labeling them as difficult to teach and can't be still and all of these other terms that they use. It's just the devil. It is just and only the devil. It's not physical. It is spiritual. In every single case, it's spiritual. And if it's spiritual in nature, it can be dealt with effectively by spiritual means. Amen. Now, tonight, let's turn to Isaiah 2. Finish up the Old Testament here. Isaiah chapter 2. And also, we looked last week, I didn't say, in Deuteronomy 18, and we saw eight different operations that God calls an abominations there, from incantations to witchcraft, wizards, witches, all of those kind of things. And he says, all that do such things are an abomination to the Lord. Would you agree with me tonight that if any of us, whether ignorantly or with our eyes open, do things that God says are an abomination to him, would you agree with me that we have made ourselves an abomination? Well, we don't want that to be true. We don't want to think that somebody is good as we are and we're better than so many other people in our own estimation. We don't want to think that we could possibly be an abomination. And yet God says, if you've been taught... And you violate that by, we call it rebellion, and you do your own thing and turn away from that, you become an abomination. That's just the way it is. In this hour, Christians are so used to getting by with whatever they do, and they think it's always wrong to deal with something that needs to be dealt with. Well, that's not right. It's because of the age that we're in. Let me tell you something. When God draws a fine line, it's a fine line. If you preach it broad, you're in error. If you try to make it too fine, then you might be a little too legalistic. But you say what he said is fine enough the way it is. God holds us to that. This is the way. Walk ye in it. You don't have to make it harder. You don't have to give any room to do otherwise. Just say what he says. Now, in Isaiah chapter 2, we'll hurry through these, or hurry, meaning we'll just brief them and we'll go on because they don't say that much, but they're there. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 6, therefore... He said, thou hast forgotten thy people, the house of Jacob. Here's why. God has rejected, and he used the word forgotten here, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, which their own fingers have made. We still do that in America today. We worship our structures and things. We've made so many great industrial things and big, beautiful things and marvelous things that people drive miles to see. Some people have constructed huge churches, edifices, and buildings, and they're so sensationally designed that people come just to see the building. And people really relish in that kind of thing. And that's sort of their idol. This is who we are, this building. This represents us. This is us. 
and it becomes an idol. It becomes something you focus your affections upon. Just like you see a picture, so-called picture of Jesus hanging on a wall. There is no painting of Jesus. There were no sculptures of Jesus. He wasn't that popular anyway. You see a picture somebody painted of a Gentile Jesus. He doesn't look Jewish. He looks like, well, a Kentuckian. And they transfer their affections to that thing. People look at idols and images and statues, the totem pole the Indians have made or the Buddha or some other kind of thing that represents their God, and they attach life to that thing, and it was made by a craftsman. It's like cutting a tree down and carving out of this tree some image and then erecting that image somewhere in a prominent place and then praying to it as though it's some kind of God that can help you. I mean, God not only calls this ignorance, but he calls it abomination. They have turned from the living God to worthless idols, he calls it. And so he said these people here, in verse 8, their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. And the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself. Notice the end of this verse, therefore forgive them not. Forgive them not. What does it mean when it says they be replenished from the east? East of what? East of Israel? Well, when you go east, you get a combination of Syria and Jordan. Then you get Iraq, then you get Iran, then there's Pakistan, Afghanistan, and then there's India. East of what? India, maybe? What comes out of what we in America call the East, Eastern religions? What do we get? What do we hear? What are we told in America about all of these kind of things? Do we not hear about soothsayers and mysticism? Yoga? Is that a word used a lot in America? It's getting so common now that people don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's a part of an Eastern religion. Meditations, incantations, things of that sort. Eastern religion, the Beatles made it popular. You know, they went to India and they said they were enlightened because the God of the world is an energy that is in good. And they sought the good and the masters of good and they... It tapped into that energy, and they came back with all this enlightenment from Eastern religions. They practiced Zen Buddhism and all of these kind of enlightening things, you know, improving yourself. God didn't say that was ever okay with him. And everybody that does such a thing is an abomination. <clears throat> That's what he said. What happened in the 60s? I got saved in 1968. I taught school all through the 60s. And I remember so well when the first it was a group called the Monkees. And it was this long hair and foolish look to this old generation of mine. It was the dumbest look I'd ever seen. That's crazy. I mean, they look like weird people. Then here came the Beatles, and they were just as weird. They had this long hair. Nobody had long hair like that. Not very many. And they were singing yappy songs and just loud music that just didn't make sense. Next thing you know, they're burning down campuses. They've forsaken the law of marriage. And there was this living together, call them flower kids, doing drugs without shame. 
revolting against the system as it was then and made this country good for all these years and all of a sudden they're out there rebelling against it using bad words and bad words got on TV then bad words got in movies now bad words are in school ask a teacher discipline's gone out the window it's the last days we were told this kind of stuff is going to happen but they be replenished with customs from the east Drugs. I remember the first time we started hearing about, in my generation, mine was the last one before drugs. And anybody that smoked marijuana or anybody that got pregnant out of wedlock was totally ostracized. It was the worst thing ever happened. Drugs, smoking marijuana? Well, that's mild today, I guess. I mean, people walk around medicated today. And I'll get to this in just a moment about the effect of drugs in the last days as the Bible points it out and shows us things about it. Let's go on to Isaiah 8. Turn over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, concerning the time you need to know what's going to happen and what's going to happen tomorrow. What should I do about this? Verse 19, and when they say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, like a witch or a medium at a seance, who supposedly is in tack with a spirit out there that tells him what's going on in the spirit world, or necromancy and calling up the dead and talking to dead people about things you need to know. Did you know that God forbids that? That's never right. Seek after them to have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Should not we prefer seeking after God? Peep and mutter were words that describe incantations, little formulas that were taught and trained by these deceptive areas that if you say these, we used to call it abracadabra. I'm just using that as an example. If that means something bad, I won't use it anymore, and it probably does. But if you say, you know, abidabidabidu, say it 10 times, and you'll get something to happen. I remember going to Catholic Church with my dad on a lot of occasions, and I'd hear the priest, you know, he'd be turned around his back to us, and he's doing a lot of things up there. I never didn't know what he was doing. But I learned later he's working a miracle. He's turning cheap wine into blood. You didn't get it. He drank it all in the mass and it was going through all this kind of stuff and he would talk in Latin and it was so low I would call that peeping and muttering he wouldn't wear a loudspeaker when he did that but he's up there dominoes and biscuits and talking about a lot of different things like that and I never didn't know what he was saying but I was wanting to beat on my chest like my dad would and I never didn't know when to do it and I'd watch him all the time you do it I'd do it you know look up front we're going to do it again you know like that and ring the bell and all this. I can't understand what they're doing. I don't think the people do. I don't think people care. If you get bored with that, you can look to a statue and ask Herman or Bill or John, whoever, whoever they are, they're to pray for you. Or pray for Mary. She's on every wall. How superstitious and superficial can religion get? One of the biggest religions in the world is so far apart from true Christianity, I don't know how they can't see it, except they got their eyes are blinded. But in the midst of all of these superstitions, there's also the occult. 
And they get into these things. They begin to follow this, this kind of stuff, meditations and all of that. And they snare themselves. And the people that they minister to, they get snared also. Look in Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. There's a parallel between Isaiah 47 and Revelation 18 about Babylon, the end of time, the fall, the judgment, and what caused it. Let me just skip through a lot of things, you know, like verse 9. You, if you want to read that later on and then read Revelation 18, which we'll get to in a moment, you'll see that there are certain similar things said. Not exactly the same, but similar things. These two things, verse 9, shall come to pass in a moment in one day, the loss of children and so forth. And he said, they shall come upon thee in their fullness for the multitude of your sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. In other words, in the end of time, there's going to be a turning more and more to seeking after something other than God for information. And as a result, the things that will come upon people, well, he says in verse 12, Stand now with thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If so be, thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators, I am told that that was a reference to people who might, for example, take arrows like you shoot with a bow and write on it some city or some direction or some date, and you put them in a quiver, and you shake this thing up, and then you, the first arrow you pull out is the direction you ought to go. You can shoot the thing, or you can take all the arrows out and throw them around and see how they're all laying and what direction they're pointing, and you can guide your life by this kind of stuff. Well, that's just one reference I saw about monthly prognosticators. This month we'll do this. We'll go there. You say, well, how foolish that is. Well, people believe that. Just like Mormons believe whenever they die, they're going to go out into space some faraway planet somewhere with their celestial wives and start them a world. You say they don't believe that. They don't. I bet they do. They won't tell you that, but they do. So in Isaiah 47, after he says you are wearied with all these kind of things, notice the end of verse 15 because I'm going to reference this in Revelation 18. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarters, and none shall save thee. When judgment begins, one of the main reasons for the judgment will be because of all the things that people turn to for help or look forward to or count on other than God, whether they're soothsayers, stargazers, monthly prognosticators, the astrological charts, the horoscopes, whatever people look to, or their readers, they call their readers. Can you give me a reading today about my life? And God says all of these people have a harsh judgment coming. Doesn't look like it, but it is coming. Now, turn to the New Testament, Acts chapter 8. There are other places in the uh, Old Testament, but I just mentioned the main ones. In Acts chapter 8... You're familiar with the revival that God sent Philip down to preach about. 
And when he preached, verse 8, there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon. Now, God puts this in here for us to read and to understand and to get something out of this about the occult. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Now, he used sorcery. The word is the word magic. We would translate it magic as maguo, but we'll just call it magic. So this guy had some occult workings, some kind of a spirit workings. And the devil does accommodate these men. Some strange things do happen. Sometimes they can get a prediction right, and that just simply more and more misleads people. But this man gave himself out to be some great one, and the people Verse 10, they all gave heed to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this is the great power of God, they said. And to him they had regard because of a long time he had bewitched them with magic. They were held under a spell. They were spellbound, in other words. I looked up the word magic, and it simply means to practice magic. It's a form of witchcraft or a form of control. Anytime somebody is controlling somebody else, whether by intimidation, threats, whatever, the spirit behind that is witchcraft. Whether it's a woman trying to control her husband, somebody in the church trying to control the preacher, any kind of a control spirit, especially a spirit that brings fear if you don't do what I say, unless, of course, you're a parent instructing your child. Things that are out of harmony with what God's word says that had to do with controlling people is a form of witchcraft. It's a form of witchcraft. And this man used witchcraft because these people looked to him and they followed him. But verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and so forth, they all got saved. And that's when they sent Peter and John down to pray for him that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now notice in verse 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. He obviously had tried that. It didn't work. So he tried to buy it. Now the Bible doesn't say he tried it and it didn't work, but he obviously didn't have it and he tried to buy it. Are you with me? Because what the apostles had he didn't have, and they wanted what he had because the people looked to these apostles like they used to look to him. And he was no longer regarded for what he was. They regarded them as being greater. And the apostles said, how much will you give us? Verse 20. But Peter said unto them, thy money perish with thee because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this word. Matter is word, logos. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So that's what happens with people who are in witchcraft, people who are able to bewitch other people, to make you think that if you want anything, you need to come to me. I'm the one that's got it all. Look in chapter 13, Acts 13. You see over here how God feels about the devil and what the devil tries to do. Acts 13, 
Verse 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 6, when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a magician, a false prophet, which is what they all are, a Jew whose surname was Barjesus, who was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so was his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, that is essentially the work of the devil in a nutshell against Christianity, to seek to turn you away from the faith. That's why there's so much deception, to seek to turn the deputy away from the faith. Then Paul, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, it doesn't mean he started speaking in tongues, as a way of describing a specific, special anointing for the moment. Then Saul, who is called Paul, turned and said to him, this is what God says about all demonic activity, all of it and any of it. This is it. Verse 10. O full of all subtlety or fraud and all mischief and wickedness, you child of the devil, thou enemy of righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That's what the devil does. That's what a seducing spirit does. That's what a deceiving spirit does. That's what causes people to wander, be misled, lose heart, and faint. Because the word no longer means what God said it does. Somebody talks somebody out of it. Tell them it doesn't mean that. You really can't count on God to heal you. He doesn't do that today. Some of the worst ones that do this are the fundamentalists. The Bible-toting fundamentalists have talked so many people out of their faith for healing and deliverance and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what God says about people that do that, well, you read verse 10. It's not very gentle. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Why would anybody pervert what's right? Because they don't want it to be like it. They have a way they want to do it. There is a way that seemeth right. And the ways of death. Oh, surely not. What did it say? Read Proverbs 16. It's a way of death. That's the way it works. Look at chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, it happened all through the book of Acts. All these little islands that Paul went to, they were steeped in superstition and occult practices and people who were misleading and demonic. Verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, God opened her heart, and she believed the things that God said which were spoken by Paul. Then she got baptized. Praise God, we got something going here. Now, verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, what is soothsaying? It's fortune-telling. Divination. You ever heard of water witching with a twig? And that's called water witching or water divining. It's not fortune telling, but it's a method of finding something that you don't have to seek God about, and that's always wrong. Man wanted to witch our property up in Versailles, Indiana, wants to find us a well. It's cheaper than making that cistern, he said. I said, how would you find this well? He said, oh, buddy up the road, he can witch you one. 
I said, not here you can. He said, why not? I said, because that's not of God. Well, this old heathen thought that was nuts. Not of God? What's God got to do with it? What are you going to do, preach to him? He goes in one ear and right out the other. Sometimes you just don't cast your prayer before a swine. You say what is true and you leave it at that. I said, I don't want that done here. I don't want on my property. I'd rather have a cistern with stale water than some kind of a other thing to happen. It don't make any sense to me. I'm sure it doesn't. I'm absolutely sure it doesn't make any sense to you. But that's your problem, not mine. Now, notice it said here about soothsaying and a spirit of divination. Now, let me give you two different sources and their comments about the word divination. One of them comes from Vincent's word studies. He said this, literally divination now, a spirit, a python, a pythos it's called. In Greek mythology was the serpent which guarded Delphi. According to the legend as related in the Homeric him. I don't know what it is either, but I'm just telling you what the guy said. Apollo descended from Olympus in order to select a site for his shrine and oracle. That's a little hole where he would be. Having fixed upon his spot on the southern side of Mount Parnassus, he found it guarded by a vast and terrific serpent, which he slew with an arrow and suffered its body to rot in the sun. Hence the name of the serpent, Python, means literally rotting. So divination is a rotten thing, all right? Pytho, the name of the place, and the epithet Pythian applied to Apollo. The same Pythos was subsequently used to denote a prophetic demon and was also used of soothsayers who practiced ventriloquism or speaking from the belly. The word ventriloquist occurs in the Septuagint and is rendered having a familiar spirit. The heathen inhabitants of Philippi regarded the woman as being inspired by Apollo. So you can take ventriloquism. Isn't it funny to have the little talking dummy and you wiggle his mouth and and they try to make him talk? Did you know that's occult? I think animating a lot of things is occult. Now, you can do what you want to with your puppets and muppets and all those kind of things, but there's something that's spiritually... Not right about that. Making something look alive and isn't alive. It would make as much sense to me as playing in some play, playing like you're the devil. There's two roles you never want to play. You don't want anything to do with it anyway, but there's two roles you never want to play. One's the devil and the other one's Jesus. Because you're not good enough for one, it's a danger to do the other one. But anyway, for whatever that all is worth. Another article, this is in the word study, part of my Greek word study, it says this, Python, the Greek name given to the mythological serpent or dragon which lived at Pytho beneath Mount Parnassus and guarded the Delphic Oracle. The name then became the surname of Apollo, the god of divination in Greek mythology, and hence applied to all oracular and divinary spirits. Such persons generally spoke with their mouth closed, uttering words considered beyond their own control, and so were also known as ventriloquists. So I would say you should avoid ventriloquism or any form of transferring a voice to something to make it look like something else is talking when the thing can't talk. It's occult. Anyway, this is what the Pythian servant, the spirit of divination, had. And this woman had this spirit that worked in her, and people came to these guys, say, ask her this. They say, we will for a fee. 
And she would turn to them and tell them something. I don't know. They must have believed it because they made a lot of money off of her. Well, Paul cast his spirit out of her. Said for several days, she followed Paul around and said, these men are of the most high God. Well, we would say, well, what's wrong with that? You see, God doesn't need any assistance from the world of darkness. Maybe if she could follow the Christians around and agree with them, that people would think that maybe what she's doing is Christian. Maybe it's okay to do that. I mean, they're not saying it's wrong. I mean, after all, these men are from God. These are God's men right here. And then she would keep doing her other thing. And look at verse 18. Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, who's he talking to, that woman or the spirit in her? The spirit. He turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. He came out of her. So would you say this woman's divination spirit was cast out of her? It certainly was, and she couldn't do this anymore. And the people got mad, had Paul thrown in prison. And that was when that night they were singing hymns. The angel got him out of there. And that night a jailer got saved. Paul had seen him in a vision. Come over to Macedonia. They went over there, cast out a demon, got thrown in jail. And by means of that, this man got saved. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? I'm sure old Silas sitting there with Paul said, I can't believe you have to always deal with the devil. Why don't you leave him alone? We're not supposed to be in jail like this. If you just quit being so spiritual, we, we wouldn't be in this mess. And there's Paul singing hymns. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. We'll just go one day at a time. And while he's in there, the door opens, a jailer gets saved. That night, he and his whole family, they all got baptized because they did that right away. God does things of that sort. To get a family saved, he had you thrown in jail and probably beaten. But it was worth it. It was worth it. God saved a whole family. Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who has brought evil upon you by feigned praise or by the evil eye? We call it hoodoo. Who do you think you are? Who do? The evil eye, the stare that was often accompanied with occultism. This glaring stare, holding people in fearfulness or a trance. You don't want to hold a lot of eye contact with people like that. You don't have to prove anything. You can do a lot of talking with your eyes. I think there's a reason why God said to ladies, you downcast eyes it means you don't give that. How you doing, buddy? You don't do that. That's not Christian. That's called flirting. So in Galatians 3, he said, who has bewitched you? Now, what did their bewitching do to them? What happened to bewitched people here? What does he go on to say? Who hath bewitched you that what? That you should not obey the truth. Would you say this then, that the object of bewitching anybody is so that they would not be able to obey the truth? Why wouldn't the devil do that? If he can, who hath bewitched you? Maybe it was some real smooth-talking preacher. Maybe it was some strange power that this guy has. You know, I read one time back in the early 80s, right at the turn of the 80s down in Guyana. Remember, they drank all that Kool-Aid. A whole bunch of people died because a man said, we're going to do this. What kind of power can a man have on you that you're willing to just drink poison and die because he said so? 
Have you no regard for your life, for your tomorrow, for what suicide means? To murder yourself is like murdering somebody. Has nobody taught you that that's wrong, that the consequences of facing God in the afterlife like that is horrible? But people do that because there's people that have control over people. They can't get away from them. They're bewitched. He said, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? It's called witchcraft. It's a controlling spirit. Look in chapter 5 and verse 20. He began in verse 19 talking about the works of the flesh. Now remember this. The flesh is the only thing the devil can use in a human being's life to manifest himself through. He's got to have this door to your flesh. Whether it's sickness, emotion, or other things to be disengaged from God and to be off into error. Notice the works of the flesh, verse 20. The first two he mentions. One is idolatry or image worship, and the second one is witchcraft. Now, the word for witchcraft here is interesting because it's this word, pharmakia. How many of you know what pharmakia is in English? Pharmacy, pharmaceuticals, drugs whether the making of drugs or the taking of drugs or the dispensing of drugs. It all has to do with drugs. You mean like street drugs? Well, I know a lot of people pay a whole lot for certain kinds of over-the-counter pharmaceutical drugs. Is Oxycontin still a hot item? I know you don't know. When my mom died, I poured a whole bottle of that Oxycontin down the drain. I probably shouldn't have done it. I loaded the water system up for a while around there. People walking out of their eyes bugged out. But some of the drugs that people buy on the street today are drugs you can get over the counter. It's almost hard to find today in athletics, Hollywood, even in the church, people that aren't some way acquainted with drugs and what drugs do to people and the effect they have in the community. How much crime and murder and death and hatred, ill will, how much of that kind of stuff comes from drugs? What about drug cartels? Is there any crime there? Do innocent people ever die because they get caught in a gun battle between drug-infested people? People who sell drugs know that drugs not only ruin a person's mind and a person's life, but most likely they'll steal from somebody and probably hurt somebody to get money to buy those drugs. They just taint the whole fabric of society, drugs. And some don't want to say that this could be certain kind of drugs. I, you know, sure, we would all have problems with something that would help a diabetic stay alive and function. I don't think people are looking to take that. I'm not going to outline everything that keeps people alive and people that any kind of a compound that people take today that it's all demonic. I'm not going to praise it either. But I'm going to say a whole lot of the drug world not only is harmful to the human body, what drug is made that doesn't in some way adversely affect the human body? Have you ever heard them advertise one of those overpriced drugs on TV and then they talk real fast at the end of it to tell you what it does to you? I've even heard one of them, just they couldn't help get the word in, everything from heart attacks to strokes to cancer. If you take this drug long enough, I think, you know, the problem you got isn't as bad as what it happens to you when you take that stuff. But people do. 
because not only are they hooked on this stuff, but their flesh craves the feeling that they get or the relief that they get. And they don't want to turn to God and trust God for this because it's too easy to go down and get this thing filled out and you don't have to go through all of that kind of stuff. Listen to what Mr. Woost, 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 the Greek authority said about this word. He said, witchcraft is from pharmakia, which word speaks in general use of drugs, whether helpfully by a physician or harmfully by someone whose purpose it is to inflict injury, hence in the sense of poisoning. Well, do drugs poison people? Let me tell you something, all of you, everybody here. Everybody in this room would be better off if you were there to never put another drug in your body, to live the rest of your life drug-free. Amen? You'd just do better. But you're taught by the world out there, if you can get away from it, you can overcome it. But the world teaches you that you can't exist without this. You can't function normally in this high-tech age with all of our pollutions and the icebergs are coming after us and everything is breaking down and we're going to blow up. Uh, you can't function without drugs, and most people can't. I heard the other day of how many billion dollars a year is spent on drugs in America and how many out of, so many out of 10 I couldn't believe it. I thought that much. Those many people take at least one or two prescription drugs all the time. This country is coming under a drug system, let alone all the other drugs that go off in the alleys and in the big cities and the cartels and the evil people of this world that are bringing. Albert Barnes said in his commentary about pharmakia or witchcraft, he said the word which is used here, pharmakia, whence our word pharmacy a medicine, poison, magic potion means the preparing and giving of medicine. That's what he said. Now you draw your own conclusions from it. W.E. Vine, the use of drugs usually accompanied by incantations and appeals to occult powers causing one to be mentally altered or to trip out. He didn't use the word trip out. I did. I coached a kid in high school once after I left Charlestown. I don't know whatever happened to him, but I had heard that he became a doctor and he got hooked on drugs, the kind you get over the counter. Not the street drugs, but the ones that you write these things for. He got hooked on them. He got caught. And they put him up and told him that if you don't quit doing this, you're going to lose your license and so forth. And I was told, he told somebody he did not think he could live without that feeling. A doctor. I mean, he got so used to this being altered and having a different consciousness. He became somebody else, somebody that he probably liked. And when he came down, he probably was a hard come down off of those drugs. And he was caught and denied this. He committed suicide for drugs. Now, this comes by these occult powers into a society. And they're blazing away right now. They're after your kids. They're after you all. Just smoke one joint. Just take one of these pills. Take a Benny, just a little Benzedrine. It's speed. And you'll just be saying, then you come down, you never felt as bad in your whole life. That's what I've been told. Terrible. But he said, the devil needs somebody who has this fleshly appetite and desire to get into that. And this is the work of the devil. 
witchcraft, he said, and drugs. And to promote that some more, go to Revelation as we come to a close now. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 21. I got to reading this today, and I went back to start in chapter 7 and read slowly through chapter 7, then chapter 8 at these judgments and these trumpets and these different kinds of judgment and the horrific effect it's going to have on the earth in this time of a third of all men will die, a third of the trees, a third of the grass, the sun, the moon. Everything's going to be affected by these judgments of God. When these angels stand and blow these trumpets and another judgment comes. You want to know why? Revelation chapter 9 and verse 21. Neither repented they of their murders. Four things. So prominent today, murders. Magic, witchcraft, not drugs. Not magic, not witchcraft, drugs. Murder, drugs, sex, and stealing. Has there been a week gone by that you have not heard about identity theft? And how many people are being stolen from today by shrewd and clever people who are so demonic? They want to steal your numbers, use your numbers and buy things. This is what's coming to you. The earth has so turned from God that in order to get what they want, they've turned to murder. What, what's abortion? It's murder. What is terrorism? Murder. What does a suicide bomber do to himself? He murders himself. He murders other people. So he can go to heaven and have 70 virgins. That's all about sex. I've heard of women who blow themselves up. What do they get? 70 men? Well, you have to laugh because it's that ignorant. You think blowing yourself up so you can get a lot of wine, women, and song on the other side? What kind of a religion is this? But they believe it. They're misled. They think it's okay, and apparently they're, they're willing to do it. But he said... Neither repented they of their murders, of their drugs, or their sex, or their stealing. Four prominent evils of the last days causing great judgments to come on this earth. Four things right there in your Bible. Look at Revelation 18. I mentioned this a while ago, and the whole chapter is really interesting about the coming down of the end, how things are going to slow down and come to a halt. At the end of verse 10, alas, he said to Babylon, whoever Babylon is, sometimes it sounds to me like it's almost talking about America. What other country has transported sin through the entire world as much as America has? What other country has demonstrated wickedness more than America? What other civilized nation in the world has killed 50 million unborn babies for the convenience of having fun in your private life? Who? Of the darkest continents in Africa? No, America, the land of computers, the land of plenty. We can print a trillion dollars and be fancy again. America. The most gifted Advanced nation, they say in the world, I doubt it, but they say it is. And he said, your sins have reached all the way to heaven in verse 5, if it's America, but we're talking about Babylon here. 
Therefore shall her plagues, in verse 8, come in one day. Verse 9, her kings have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, this Babylon. And at the end of verse 10, in one hour is thy judgment come. One hour. Let's go to verse 22. In the last days, this is towards the end, and the voice of harpers and musicians and the pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more. The music is going to stop. No craftsman of whatsoever craft he is shall be found any more in thee. Perhaps the unions are all done. Perhaps. And verse 23, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. Perhaps something's caused the power companies to stop. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more. Weddings have stopped. Notice, you read this, verse 23. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy drugs were all nations deceived. What do you think is the main product coming out of Afghanistan? Heroin. Heroin. What do you think the main product that coming out of Colombia, it was or might probably still is? It's drugs. Who's buying all this stuff? Anybody that can get to it. People are glassy-eyed and misled. I think you get into drugs, you get into music. I think you get into the wild, crazy music that doesn't make sense because you're in a different zone when you're on drugs. You're not really who you really are. You're somebody else. You like who this other person is. You don't like yourself. You know what? There's a whole bunch of us in this room that for no reason need drugs. I don't mind being who I am. At a different time in my life, if you could drink four or five beers and you could have fun because you get bold and stupid. But people now, you can do that with drugs and you don't have to have that smell on your breath. There's something about man that is weak and the devil preys on that weakness so that he can, in getting men into those weak areas, drinking, all kinds of foolish pleasures, if he can get you involved, he'll snare you. And look how many people have been ruined. How many people have been ruined by drugs? All because they want to be somebody else than who they are. I want to be different. I want that feeling. I want that, hey, man, what's happening? I remember trying to pray for men one time to get saved, and I said about giving up the drugs. He said, I can't. I didn't even talk about it. He said, I can't give up my music. Is rock music. Couldn't give it up. Because the two go together. Marijuana and drugs go together. He was snared. He still is. Couldn't give them up. I'm telling you all of this so you can see in this book for yourself what happens. Plus the crime, the syndicates, the unruliness of the whole world that's going after drugs. The whole world. People will sell their souls to get these drugs. Women will prostitute their bodies for their drug habit. They have no regard for what might not disease and infections. They just want that feeling. How cheap we have made life in this age. How cheap that we'll sell our soul for a little white powder. Finally, Revelation 21 and verse 8. 
serious words here, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and women chasers and drug users and all idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You're denied heaven. You're denied heaven. Need to read that. In chapter 22, talks about those that are outside of heaven. Verse 15, towards the end of the chapter. For without, those that don't have right to the tree of life in verse 14, verse 15 says, for without are dogs, and specifically sorcerers, drugs, Sex, murder, and idolatry. And whoever loves and makes a lie. You can't go to heaven. You can't go to heaven doing that. You are denied entrance in this world from ever making it into the next world. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have to deal with something in your life in some way and somewhere in the past. Some of you already have. You don't need to go through it all again. But I would say this. When it comes down to maybe you recognize that in your past you have been involved with these occult spirits or you've opened the door somewhere, maybe at a carnival, maybe at home with a Ouija board, maybe at a Kabbalah or some of these other games, but you've opened the door. And you suspect that some of your current problems may be attributed directly to that. Here's what you do. First of all, you pinpoint as best you can the place where you opened the door to the devil. Where you opened up to him. If you can remember it. One girl I knew in Charlestown couldn't sleep at night. There was this terrible glow that would come out of her closet after I taught on the subject. She's terrified. Come to find out turn on the light and get up there in the top of her closet, and there was a Ouija board. A Ouija board. They got it out of there, get it out of the house, and everything changed. I preached at a church in Owensboro, Kentucky, 100 years ago. A long time, at least 30. And the preacher there was telling me about some kids one night got together in a youth group to play the Ouija board. Youth group, obviously untaught and ill-informed playing the Ouija board, and they called him, and they were all terribly upset while they were playing this thing and started dancing on the table. And they couldn't stop it. They were afraid to touch it. It was just dancing all over the table. The preacher came over, knew something about it. He said, I command this to stop in Jesus' name, and it did. And they took the thing outside, and they burned it. We just paid so much money for that. You burn it. And all of those kids that were involved in that need deliverance. They need to renounce that experience as an act of getting themselves delivered. It's not like you have to run to somebody to do this. You can do it yourself. You pinpoint the place the devil came in, and then you confess it as sin. Remember Proverbs 28, 13, Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. you got to confess it, don't justify it, and forsake it. And then thirdly, you renounce it. I renounce what I did, and fourthly, you break all associations. That is, you go home, you burn, destroy, break all associations, any books, any manuals, any kind of videos, video games, VCR. Let me tell you something about video games. Video games, I've seen so much, it's demonic. Remember Dungeons and Dragons that came out once? 
That's mild compared to what they do today, but I've got this big article in I found today, a whole paper thing, and this guy who invented it talked about how intensely involved you can get into this until you really become the person you're playing. That's terrible. Because I suspect some people believe they're somebody else and they don't get out of that. You think that video games are innocent? They are not. For any of you, you young men, young women, you're ratty-tatting on that video game, playing like you're there. You better be careful. When that thing has big demonic teeth and you're killing that sucker, got him. You really think, do you really think that's okay? Now, how badly you're willing to stop doing that or get rid of that or how much you're hooked on it, I don't know. But it becomes a snare to you. It becomes a snare. You break all those associations. You burn your books. And as far as I'm concerned, anything, everything you can find that has rock music in it, on it, you burn it, stomp it, throw it in the fire, whatever you got to do with it. It's demonic. And finally, you confess faith in the power of and the authority of Jesus Christ to whom you turn and to whom you lean on. You simply say something like this. Father, I recognize that many of my problems are due to my involvement with occult things. I renounce my association with and my time with, and then you name the thing. I had my Ouija board, whatever it is you did. I renounce that. And I break all association with that now in Jesus' name. And I know that opening this door has opened me up to oppression and everything else. I now consider myself to be clean from this. I renounce my sin. I command the devil to leave and flee from my life and my home in Jesus' name. Then you trust God. I can only tell you this. I preach this. I think this is one of the first things that we ever learned when I first got saved. We all learned it. We all tried to master these verses and remember these things to learn how to walk soberly and vigilantly and carefully through this life to avoid the appearance of evil and to resist any attempt to bring things into your life, coloring books that have demonic things in them. You don't want that. You need as a parent to look at it. Little gifts that your children get, four-leaf clovers, hearts. I'll go ahead and tell you this. I found a blanket. Bonnie did a blanket that's older than anybody in here. I think it was given to me when I was a baby. Somebody made it back way before then. And woven all through this thing in a pattern with little hearts all over it. We just found it. So I told her, put it out. Get it out of the house. I'm going to throw it away and we're going to the WD tomorrow. And sew it in the WD. You know what the WD is, don't you? The Waddy Dump. I'm going to give it to them. Oh, that's a terrible thing. Your mother. I, said, I don't care if I got it from Prince Charles or Queen Mary. I don't want it. I don't want it. It's just a piece of cloth. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you now to minister to these people here tonight, the ones that need to deal with some things in their life, occult things. Give them a sober heart tonight, a sober heart to be willing not only to recognize that they have been fooling around and messing with dark things, but the courage to break away from it, to break away from the sources of it, 
the people or places that promote it and to distance themselves from this, to more and more put the devil under their feet and not give place to the devil. I ask you, Father, to make us diligent and sober, to be wary, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in this world. And I ask you to deliver this whole entire church, whether little by little or all at once, deliver us from all these forms of wickedness. May this word fall into the hearts of all these people and live there and abide there and become a force. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.